Okay, I'm in. And it looks like I still have share screen ability. Good there. I don't know if I fixed this because I tried to mess with the settings and it just did not, it didn't do what I wanted it to do at all. Um, <clears throat> you see Kari and I, the main thing is we got to get Joseph and Julia in if possible. So they're, they're on the here. Issue is that it wouldn't let me we're here sam and it's okay if you don't if you can't see us so it'll all work we'll start the webinar for everyone do not worry okay um as long as you can see um dr Cartwright, and i think that's all that really matters so and it well we should definitely be able to hear everybody else um oh oh i figured it out oh i think i may have fixed it hang on one second okay Okay. 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 Julia and Julian maybe might be able to turn their cameras on. There we go. Okay. I fixed one problem. <laughs> um, oh, I'm here. Uh, and uh, I'm how do I turn my camera on? <laughs> okay. And Tom should also be there. Excellent. Thank you, Sam. Yes, I'm good. Perfect. Okay. Whew. So now um, I don't know how to make it so that other people can turn the cameras on, but okay. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and um share my screen with the slides. Oh. Sam, ready? Once it's up, I'll get started. Just let me know. And you're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, okay. Can everybody see the slides at least? Yeah, just put them in share mode. Yeah. I don't, how do I even, I don't know how to do that. Um, look for, download them onto your, your computers. And they're not like we're oh. and Yep, I got it. No, here we go. Um, okay. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you everyone for joining today. Welcome to the Advisory Committee on Public Policy Open Meeting for SNEB. Um, I'm Julian McCarthy. I'm the current chair, and I'll pass it to the chair-elect, Julian. Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm Julian Henstenberg. Um, I am the um, chair-elect, and I'm happy to be here today, and thank you for all attending. Um, I'm Somehow I can't figure out how to turn my camera on. So I apologize. I hope you can see my picture. We're all having technical difficulties today. So it must just be in the air right before the vacation. Um, so today, you know, you're going to hear um, most excitingly from Dr. Cobb right from USDA. We'll also have before that a federal policy update. 
um, and we'll have some working time at the end um, to tempt you all SNEB members who are interested in policy. I'm just gonna give a little teaser first to say um, that we also are joined by many of our committee members and committee members serve two years. You can submit a brief application to join the committee um, and those are request, those applications are typically requested in the spring. Um, the chair elect, so Julianne will be the chair next year and um, the current, the, then we'll need a new chair elect. So if you are interested, um, interested, please let us know. Happy to talk about the position, the time um, constraints and whatnot. Um, and I'll just also mention, you know, people come from the divisions, but if you are just someone who is interested in policy and a topic expert, you can also join. Um, we'd love to have you. Um, so here's a list of current members, people you may wanna reach out to. Um, and, you know, please, please let us know. We, we have great discussions and we learn quite a lot from Tom. So who is Tom? Um, you may have, you, you may get these, you know, bi-weekly updates on what's happening in policy and Tom is the author of those. So Tom Joseph is the vice president and managing partner of Paragon and he heads up the firm's health and human services practice. Tom has worked as a policy consultant for SNEB for many years, and his monthly updates, as I said, are included in um, the SNEB's newsletter. So, Tom, I'll turn it over to you before um, Dr. Cotwright has a chance to talk. All right, thanks, Julia, and hello, everybody. Um, I'm going. My update's going to be relatively brief. Uh, Congress uh, left town mid last week after a, a lot of contentious uh, hearings and elbowings in halls and, and whatnot. So there, the high level of stress uh, between members. So they, they left early and they will return next week. Um, before they left town, they did indeed pass a federal spending bill that continues all federal spending through early next year at current levels. Um, they passed it in, in uh, two stages. Um, next month on January 19th, four bills will be due for um, renewal, including the Agriculture Department bill. And then on February 2nd, uh, bills including uh, bill for, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services will be up for renewal. Um, essentially last week, they made the decision not to make a decision on any of those spending packages. Um, there are still within the House, most of the bills have very deep cuts for domestic programs to the tune of 20 to 30% cuts overall. Um, but with those cuts, the House has had difficulty even within the GOP ranks of passing those bills on the floor because some members who are in competitive districts do not want to uh, adopt or, or be called out on uh, heavy cuts within those bills. And then there are some very conservative members who want even deeper cuts. So it's unclear what the path will be uh, moving forward next year. Um, Speaker Johnson really has his work cut out for him. Uh, the bills that were adopted last last week on the bill that was adopted last week on the House side needed Democratic votes in order for it to pass. That's exactly what happened to the previous speaker, Speaker McCarthy, uh, when he needed Democratic votes. He was ousted from his speakership 
but the conservatives at this point are giving Speaker Johnson a little leeway, um, but uh, it remains to be seen what we will um, encounter come the beginning of, of next year. Um, if indeed they do not come to a resolution on, on these bills and there is a partial government shutdown, um, programs such as SNAP and WIC would continue for a period of time. SNAP has now been um, advanced funded for a, a, a month in advance. So SNAP may be safe through, through perhaps February. And WIC, some states do have some reserves, but WIC is in more danger of uh, running out of funding. For its part, the administration had requested, which was not included, had requested a $1 billion addition to WIC to account for increased participation in the program and increased food um, food costs. But that um, provision uh, proposed by the administration was not included in the continuing resolution last week. And then one more thing, Julia, and, and I'm happy to take questions. Um, the Farm Bill, the Farm Bill was extended. All programs were extended in that continuing resolution uh, last week, uh, extended until September 30th of next year. Um, there is yet to be any legislation on either the House or Senate side to reauthorize the Farm Bill. Um, the both sides of the Hill, leaders on both sides of the Hill have said that um, legislation may be available sometime early next year. But frankly, they've been saying that all of this past year. There's been continuing controversy over some of the Farm Bill price support programs. Um, some controversy continues on, on SNAP in terms of work requirements, but for his part, the chairman of the House uh, Agriculture Committee, G.T. Thompson, from Republican from Pennsylvania, has pushed back on his more conservative members and said that he did not want to see additional work requirements in SNAP um, in, in his Farm Bill reauthorization. Um, but again, remains to be seen what what uh, the farm bill will look like, um, and hopefully we'll have something to to respond to um, early early next year. With that, Julia, I'm happy to to take any questions before we get to our guest speaker. Great, um, Sam. I'm not sure I should offer this, but can people come off mute and ask questions now? Is that possible, or or through the chat, maybe? Everybody should be able Great. to come off mute. So we've got a couple minutes if people want to ask any questions. Great, so we have um, two minutes, I think, if people have questions for Tom. You can raise your hand through the chat. You can raise your hand through the raise hand feature or just come off um, mute and ask yourself. Well, Tom, as always, you were so thorough that I don't think there are questions, so. Um, at least I'm not seeing them. Um, and if they do come up, well, I'll send them to you for the next update, if that's sure. Great. That's fine. Thank um, you. Okay. I'll go ahead and uh, put this back up so that we can introduce our speaker. And I'll look back. Great.
And while you're doing that, Sam, I'll go ahead and introduce so we are so excited today to be joined by Dr. Kari Jackson-Cotwright. She's the Director of Nutrition Service and Health Equity at the Food and Nutrition Service at the United States Department of Agriculture. In this role, Dr. Cotwright leads a whole department approach to advancing food and nutrition security. So she's one of actually two departmental representatives um, to accelerate action on the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. Um, you know, I, the, I'd say her work includes building public awareness around USDA's actions to advance food and nutrition security, as well as collaborating and building partnerships with key stakeholders, hopefully like many of us on this call today. Um, Dr. Cotwright is currently on leave um, as an associate professor of nutritional sciences in the University of Georgia's College of Family and Consumer Sciences in the Department of Nutritional Sciences. God, I love academic profiles. Uh, <laughs> so um, her research centers on promoting health equity among infants through age five years old with a particular focus on accelerating health equity among historically underserved populations. She has secured over $1 million in grants focused on obesity prevention and health equity from Health Eating Research um, and from um, the USDA. She had worked as an ORISE fellow at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And um, she holds a PhD in food and nutrition and community nutrition and a PhD in foods and nutrition and community nutrition and a master's in foods and nutrition, both from the University of Georgia and a bachelor's degree in biology from Howard University. She's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and lives in Athens, Georgia with her loving husband and her adorable three girls who we're going to get to see a picture of today. So Dr. Kari, we're so excited to have you here and thank you so much for take, giving us the time. Thank you so much, Julia, for that kind introduction. And thank you, Tom, for making my job so easy with that thorough legislative uh, review about the Farm Bill and SNAP and everything that's going on on the Hill. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here to speak to SNEB members as well. I'm a long time SNEB member and I serve on the board and it's such a special organization. So I want to thank each of you for allowing me the opportunity to speak with you today. So what I'm going to do is share a little bit about my story of working to advance nutrition security and health equity through public service and highlight a few ways that you can join me in these efforts. And as you will learn today, one of my most exciting roles is helping to make my I played a household brand. So I'm very, very excited about that. And I know that members of SNEB can help me to do that. So this work includes working with nutrition educators across the country. And on today's call, I want to identify and ideally scale up best practices around our cultural, contextual, and linguistical adaptations for my plate. And I'm going to share ways how you can use your voice among other skills to help. So I'm going to aim for about 12 minutes and then reserve some time for questions so we can discuss how we can work better together. So very exciting about that. So I just want to start off here with this slide where you see one of my most important jobs is to be a mom. So I'm a mother of three. My little ones are ages five, eight, and nine. Some to be six, eight, ten, um, but that's what they are right now until the holidays. And uh, we have a lot of fun at home cooking and uh, growing veggies in our garden and singing songs like the Broccoli Song together. So although I won't sing it right now, um, I you can see it in my TED Talk. So that's why this picture is here. So you can look that up and you can hear me sing the Broccoli Song that we sing at home. So as um, as Julia mentioned, I am on leave from the University of Georgia, where we greet people by saying go dogs. And uh, very excited to be in this role serving as the Director of Nutrition Security and Health Equity. And I actually saw I lead my lab on childhood obesity prevention. And I saw my doctoral student who will be graduating in December is on the call as well. So shout out to Chisholm. Thank you for joining. 
And I just am so proud of the work that we've been doing at the University of Georgia and how it ties into nutrition security and health equity. I'm the first Black woman to earn tenure in the Department of Nutritional Sciences. And I know I won't be the last because we're inspiring others to uh, do this work. And so for my research, teaching, and community engagement, again, I focus on early childhood obesity prevention. And that means a great deal of my work focuses on promoting USDA programs such as SNAP-Ed and CACFP. And so these programs we know have critical public health impacts. And my research, including others, has shown that participation in programs like CACFP improves the quality of foods and beverages served for young children while they're in care. And I can tell you so many experiences, you see these kind of logos that are up here. We have a program through our UGA SNAP-Ed project called Healthy Child, Child, Healthy Child Care Georgia, where we aim to improve teacher self-efficacy to build healthy habits among young children. And we engage them in learning about my plate, which is one of my mandates for this job, and, and trying new fruits and vegetables. And it's just been amazing to hear about little ones asking their parents for new things like kiwi and asking for broccoli. We've had our teachers growing gardens and writing grants. Even one put a water fountain on the playground. So really just thinking about how uh, our programs really impact and make change, like the work that you're doing in, in the field and, and working with collaborators across the field. So we really do appreciate, appreciate it um, in terms of how you're promoting our programs and our other assets. My prior federal experience includes being an ORISE fellow at CDC, where I had the wonderful opportunity to work on the Let's Move Child Care Initiative. And we really work on promoting obesity prevention policy in that space. And now I just wanna tell you a little bit more about myself and I wanna take you back, tell you a story. So this picture is in the neighborhood where I grew up. I grew up in a small Southwest neighborhood in Atlanta called Adamsville. And so wonderful, beautiful community. I was blessed to be a part of a middle-class family with parents who were working professionals, um, have three siblings, there were four of us and we had our family dog, just like many of you. And I'm looking so forward to spending Thanksgiving with them and I hope that each of you have a special holiday as well. Um, as a child, I really did benefit from the achievements of the civil rights era. And you see this picture, you see Martin Luther King pictured here, John Lewis, our civil rights leaders and advocates that are known across the world. And we know that Atlanta is, you know, the cradle of the civil rights movement. And I lived in Adamsville, but I, I took the bus to Buckhead. And that was one of the benefits of being able to go to schools in different school districts uh, that came out of the civil rights era. So when you see this next picture, this is a painting that hangs in my mother's home. And this is a picture actually of my father, Ernest Jackson. And he's pictured here with uh, Coretta Scott King. And, you know, she was a very tenacious woman and a lifelong human rights activist, activist for social change. And so I show you this picture to just show you that I've been steeped in equity for a very long time since I was a little girl. My mother was a elementary school principal and she really served the community and so it's always been a part of what I've done and my father actually headed up the National Institute for Community Empowerment at Martin Luther King Center for Nonviolent Change. So I had the pleasure of running through the halls and being in the office with Red Scott King and my dad when I was young. So now let's think back to Adamsville. Every day 
in Adamsville. I would go and I would get on the bus and I would go to this very affluent neighborhood called Bookhead, like I said. And so it was very picturesque, very large campus, very beautiful. But on the block where I caught the bus, there were different things. I noticed these differences. And so there was a fried chicken restaurant. There was a hardware store. There was a grocery store. There was a liquor store, you know, just kind of standing there waiting on the bus. We would see these things. Then you look a block over and there are two more fast food restaurants serving fried chicken and hamburgers and French fries. And if you look further down, you would see a Adamsville Healthcare Center and there was a dialysis center. And I really didn't know how to gauge how this affected the health of the community. I really didn't think about that when I was young and really our quality of life at the time because we really we had access to grocery stores and all those wonderful things. And we had um, ways of getting fresh fruits and vegetables. We always had fresh fruits and vegetables in my home and in the neighborhood. And we even had a man named Mr. Bill who would come through with his fruit and veggie truck and we would purchase wonderful vegetables about that. So um, when I think about that, I think about the assets that my community had. It's a beautiful community. And when we got those veggies off the truck, it would usually be uh, better tasting. And little did we know we were nutrition secure. We were advocates for locally sourced food at, at even, even back in those that time. And so my neighborhood was a place where people looked out for one another. And it was a wonderful place. So I tell you that because now I want you to take an imaginary backpack and take a journey with me. I want you to think about traveling through Atlanta and if everyone's got their backpack on, I want you to put that on imaginary backpack and let's get going. And I just want you to say, you only have to get off mute, just say, get on the bus. You can just say it out loud. And then as you think about that, I want you to think about traveling through these neighborhoods and think about the differences that I might have seen. I told you I saw fast food restaurants. By the time I got to Buckhead, I saw dainty sandwich shops and I saw dining restaurants and I saw billboards that displayed job opportunities instead of camels that were wearing sunglasses and smoking cigarettes. The liquor stores or what we call then still exist too. It's the bottle house wore wine shops and they offered tastings and happy hours and they served fancy things like macaroons. And we didn't see overburdened neighborhood health clinics, but we saw glass buildings with doctor's offices with specialties. And again, neighbors taking care of neighbors, just differences. And so we also saw these plush lawns. It was near the governor's mansion and I would just be in awe. And I can still drive through Buckhead today and I'm, I'm still a bit in awe. And as, as you're looking out the window, think about being on the bus with me and you're thinking, Hmm. why are things so different? And so people often ask me, Dr. Carwright, what is your passion? What is your why? Why do you do this work? And I do this work for every little boy or girl that wonder why their neighborhood is so different. Because for far too long, we have allowed socioeconomic status and zip codes to define life expectancy. And now it's time for a change. And so we know that there are structural inequities that have made these differences a reality over time. And my role in this role, I'm so excited because it's time for change. And that's what we're here to talk about today. So almost a year and a half ago, in March 2022, Secretary Vilsack launched an effort at USDA to tackle food and nutrition insecurity. And I am privileged to move this work forward by engaging partners like you in creating solutions. And as, expl as I explain the work that we're doing, I invite you to get on the bus with me. We are going to use this as a vehicle for change. And to help us reach our destination, I want you to think about where we're going. We're headed to a place where there is no hunger, 
one of the White House goals is to end hunger, where people are thriving in the areas of nutrition and physical activity, because one of the White House conference goals is to improve nutrition and physical activity. And three, where diet-related diseases and disparities are a thing of the past. And that's what we want to do, reduce diet-related diseases and disparities. And I want you to imagine a world where reaching this destination is our reality. It's not just some mythical thing that we can do this together. So as we get on the bus together, we've got to pack our resources, our ingenuity, our capital, our partnerships, and our passion. So again, just say to yourself, get on the bus because we're headed on this bus. So as we're on this vehicle for change now and you understand you know, the playing field and where we're headed, I want to pause and show you a video that summarizes briefly our nutrition security efforts at USDA. I can't hear it. You might have to run it back. Can everybody else hear? No, we don't have the audio this time. It worked last time. Oh yeah. yeah. Let's go. Let's run it back. We'll try it one more time. And if if not, we'll send you the link. Don't worry. Um. Yes. Yeah, share audio setting. Mm -hmm, when you play it. I think I have it set that you can do that, but I, I don't know. I think it's set that way. Okay, let's see if I can do it from my computer. We'll see. Uh, I don't know. Let me see if I can share anything. There we go. And share sound, optimize for video. Too. There we go. Let's see everybody if this one works. And excuse me for seeing all my tab there. America is full of confidence, joy, energy. America is full of life. Thanks in part to the work of USDA's Food and Nutrition Service to ensure all communities have access to healthy foods. For decades, USDA's programs have led the way in addressing food insecurity, helping people get enough food to eat. And while tackling food insecurity remains a top priority, we are expanding our focus to include nutrition security, connecting all Americans with foods that support good health and well-being. USDA is working hard every day to make our programs stronger than ever, helping schools serve our children food that is good for them and tastes great, strengthening and modernizing the WIC program so that more infants and children get a good start in life, and making sure all Americans know about tools like MyPlate that can help them eat healthy. By prioritizing both food and nutrition security today, the USDA Food Nutrition Service is helping ensure all Americans thrive. There we go. Could you actually hear that, everybody? Yeah, that was great. Okay, perfect. Uh, that, that video makes me feel really good. Let me close it before YouTube starts to play something else. All right. And so we will go back. 
um, to sharing and back to our comments. So now that we're all on the same page, we see the things that we're doing that are inspiring. I want to start by explaining how, as a part of our efforts to advance food and nutrition security, we're working to leverage those goals of the White House Conference. So I think they uh, are worth repeating again to end hunger, improve nutrition and physical activity, and to reduce diet-related diseases and disparities. And I am so proud to be a part of this whole of society approach to to reach the White House goals. This past summer while in DC for two conferences, I had the opportunity to take my family on a tour of the White House. And I just stood there in awe and in, in, in thinking about how much we have this amazing opportunity to leverage our passion and the passion of our current president to help us to end hunger and build healthy communities. So today I want to discuss how we can do better together. And I'd love to hear your ideas. My mind is full of ideas on how we can help make my plate a household name. So I'm looking forward to your questions. Before I start off um, with any questions, I want to emphasize how at USDA, our number one priority is healthy school meals for all. And as this group knows well, a pathway to healthy school meals for all is outlined in the national strategy and it would reorient the school meals program from being an ancillary service to an integral part of the school day, just like books, desks, and computers. And several states have already taken this important step of making schools of, of making school meals permanently free for all children. So we have an ask of all our nutrition educators and our SNEB members and our policymakers around WIC and summer EBT so that we can help to um, discuss and lift up these programs. And so before I transition to our, our questions, I want to take you back to this neighborhood in terms of what we were seeing. And so 40 years later, when you are on that bus and you were to come to my neighborhood, you would see the, the same fast food restaurants and the same um, the same liquor store, but you would also see differences. And so you would see that there's not one dialysis center, there are three, that there's no longer a, no longer a grocery store within a five, five to 10 mile radius, although we do have a planet fitness, and there's no veggie truck. And, and we know there's a time, time for change. And so as we think about this, I want you to think collectively about what we can do together to reach our destination for nutrition security and health equity. We're going to need a ton of fuel. And so this is going to be be fueled by all kinds of people with all types of backgrounds and all types of expertise. And so as we do this, I want you to think about getting on the bus and staying with me. And as you heard in that, that video, that nutrition security, that definition for nutrition security, we know that food security is, is supplying food, but we take nutrition security a step further when we think about it in terms of our definition, which is making sure that everyone in our country has consistent and equitable access to healthy, safe, and affordable food that is optimal for their health and well-being. And so when you think about that, I do want to let you know that we scaffold our nutrition security work in four pillars. And so as you think about that, the first one is meaningful nutrition support. And so you've heard Tom lift up WIC, you've heard me lift up WIC and snap in. And those are very important programs to make sure that everyone in our country, regardless of demographics and life stages, has access to meaningful nutrition support. And my plate falls in there as well. And so we want to lift up those programs. Our second pillar is really looking at increasing that access to healthy, safe, and affordable food that is optimal for the well-being. Our programs do that, right? And so as we look at being able to bridge the gap, we recently had our Economic Research Service release a report on food insecurity, and we know that the rates are still high. 
we know that the disparity still exists. And so we want to make sure that we make changes in that area. And that's a part of this food and nutrition security effort. Our third is collaborative action. And that's what we're doing now, talking to key stakeholders, making sure that we collaborate, making sure that we hear from you so that we can work better together. And the fourth is last but not least, making certain that we prioritize equity every step of the way. And I say that in a manner, I always say, I don't want people to put on their equity lens. I want you to get LASIKs and have equity vision. We need to be thinking about equity in everything we do. And we're holding ourselves accountable at USDA. We have equity plans. We have placed equity, health equity, and our strategic planning process. And I love that I'm a part of an organization where we are really focusing on that and holding ourselves accountable. So as I wrap up, I want you to look at this QR code that's about to come on the screen. You can scan it to learn more about our efforts and stay connected. Together, we can take everyone in every zip code at every stage of life to a place where healthy, safe, and affordable food for all is the norm. And I want to thank you for joining me on this journey and think about ways we can do better together. And I am so open for questions. Again, we didn't want to put a lot of slides, so we have time for questions. But I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was great. Um, I will start with one question that's in the chat um, just to kick it off and then would ask other people. You can um, come off mute and ask yourself or you can drop it also into the chat. So this is a question from Courtney Slater. Um, has USDA considered moving away from the phrase diet-related diseases, which makes it seem like food is the cause of the disease rather than correlated with the development of a, of a disease? We've all heard the phrase correlation is not equal to causation, and it seems that we're perpetuating blame and stigma for disease development by insinuating someone caused their disease through the foods that they eat. No, Courtney, thank you for your question. And as you think about it, we, we have to really use on the federal level, we have to use universal language. And so I, I do understand your point about diet-related disease, but it really speaks to, and again, I'm sure you've heard a lot of the, um, the efforts related to food as medicine. It really thinks about and highlights how when we don't have access to healthy, safe, and affordable food that is optimal for our health and well-being, that we are often uh, having increased incidence. Um, in in different diseases. And so it can be, we can always work on terms and we can always work on um, making certain that our terms are equitable and all encompassing. But uh, right now on the government level, things move slow, but it's a, a wonderful point to bring up and I thank you for raising it. Um, I have another question from Margaret Reed who actually had to get off, but had sent this to me. Um, is, is there a place where you are tracking the White House commitments and goals? And if so, um, are we also able to check that out? Yes, we actually are. And so if you look at the national strategy, there's a, a corresponding national strategy for the White House Conference and Goals. So you can look at that. But one of the things that I think we we may have already put it in the chat, but if not, I know Sheila will put it in there. For the, the first year anniversary of the White House Conference, USDA actually um came up or we, we developed a fact sheet that really looks at our progress to date. And we will be uh, really looking at in March of celebrating uh, our efforts at USDA that are surrounding food and nutrition security. And we, we do want to do a lot to um, highlight our efforts, but we are constantly tracking 
um, specifically here at USDA. And one of the things that comes up, I serve on a lot of panels and do a lot of speaking engagements, is what are other federal agencies doing? And we really are holding ourselves accountable and having conversations across the board. We recently just signed an MOU with the VA that is also working on similar work. And we work with HHS and we work with CDC and we work with FDA and we work with DOD. And it has just been amazing. I have been so impressed. I started in this role in April. And I know a lot of times people think that we work in silos, but we are definitely tracking. And as I mentioned, specifically here at USDA, we are holding ourselves accountable and putting things, putting the outcomes in our strategic planning process. So we must meet our goals and our um, look at those outcomes. But I'd love for you to look at that fact sheet that Sheila just put in that really talks about the tracking and each federal agency is tracking progress as well. And I'm one of two points of context that serves on our um, Domestic Policy Council. And we really do look at the White House commitments and tracking how industry and those who have committed to making change for the White House conference goals are helping to implement um, the ideas that they have. Thank you for the question. Great. Um, I'll take this moment to ask one of my own. So one of the questions that comes up um, often here at SNEB is um, about how we can diversify the workforce specifically registered dietitians. And I think a barrier um, often is the, the pay equity, right? And so that for entry level jobs, um, especially for the WIC program, for many of extension programs, the pay is just, um, you know, it makes those jobs sometimes less attractive than like at the starting levels than um, private sector jobs. And so what is USDA doing um, to be able to, you know, promote diversity within the field? Um, either through salaries or, or other mechanisms? Mm -hmm. We have, um, I, I guess I'll look at that in two ways. So you have the diversity of the, diversity of the field and then you have the equity gap, right? The, the pay gap. And so as you think about that, first, uh, again, that collaboration and partnering with organizations, I have uh, served on several panels and talked about uh, really forward thinking about uh, diversifying the field. And, and one organization that comes to mind that I've served on panels with is Diversified Dietetics. It, they had an idea and had really burgeoned in terms of uh, creating their own dietetic internship and attracting uh, students of color to be in the field. And I think we all can take that as an example um, in terms of not one organization, but many organizations that are working on that pillar that we call collaborative action to think about how we can really elevate um, and, and diversify the field. We really need to do that. Each one of us as nutrition educators um, has a core responsibility to go out and recruit others into the field. We inspire others just by being present. And so I think that's another great thing. As I think about the gap in pay and I think about the requirement that is forthcoming for us to have a master's degree, you know, in order to be a registered dietitian. And I, of course, I'm, I'm a registered dietitian as well. I um, am a, a huge advocate uh, for increasing pay. And of course, things take time. You heard from Tom how we're trying to make sure that our programs are funded and we want to make sure that we have excellent staff. So one of the things that we're doing is working within the WIC program on WIC modernization. And we have an entire core effort to diversify the WIC, work for, the WIC workforce. Um, I, I am not aware of the increases in pay at this time, but I'm sure that there have been um, discussions about that. And I can find out more about that, Julia, and just see where um, we are in terms of 
uh, increasing pay. It, it can be difficult, of course, in terms of time, but it's, it's still something that we can all work together to advocate for. Because again, if our future dietitians are gaining more education, they will be looking for more pay. But we need to have that diversity. If you've not, I also have uh, Sheila or one of our interns drop in an entire document about the website where we are talking about diversifying uh, the WIC workforce and how important that is and the efforts that have gone behind that. And it's been a really concerted effort where we've gone out and talked to our participants about their needs and we're working to make change. So thank you so much. Tom, I saw you come on camera. If you got some more, something to share, please do. No, I, I don't have anything to share at this point. I just thought since we're in the discussion mode, I just turned my camera on. Thank oh, you. No problem. I thought yeah. you were just going to chime in with me. Um, and so I want you to look over here. Sheila put a few things in the chat. Um, again, working with our federal partners on our cancer moonshot, and then also this full government implementation website that looks at the page. And then we'll also put in or share the information about diversifying uh, specifically the WIC workforce. And we, we've been working on um, hiring more people uh, here, even at USDA, uh, to make sure that we're serving the needs of the people. And I love that we're called the People's Department. Great. Thank you, Dr. Cotwright. Any other questions? I know that people had some, so want to give you a chance to ask. Great. I see there's one in the chat um, from Elizabeth Miller. Are there sp specific grant funding areas that are priorities for USDA currently? Oh, we have a really wide portfolio. And so I will look, um, Sheila has, I just did a, a recent presentation where we were looking at our efforts in NIFA. Um, Sheila's actually my right hand that helps me a lot um, in terms of the work that we're doing. And so again, when we look at the National um, um, Institute for uh, Food and Agriculture, and you think about those um, approaches, a lot of things that would be interested to members of this group um, in terms of looking at, for example, I'll just give you one, we look at the um, Gus Shoemaker um, incentive program. And so when you look at that nutrition incentive program and doing produce prescription, which many people are uh, very interested in, we do have uh, funding to test out that those mechanisms. And we just had a recent uh, report that was released. We had a convening um um, it was very early on when I came in, I think it happened in April, but we were sharing an impact report. And so again, looking at how uh, our programs in the field, I see uh, Sheila's dropping a lot of things in the chat, um, uh, are, are working toward advancing our areas of not just nutrition security, um, but our, our efforts around nutrition security and improving the health of um, everyone in this country. And so we have lots of different um, areas. I see Sheila's dropping some on food waste and food systems. Uh, we have some on precision nutrition, uh, very, very wide portfolio. And then I'm going to always advocate for researchers to be doing work um, that is related to SNAP, to CACFP, to WIC, to the programs that we have, um, because the more we can show the value and the impact of our programs, uh, the more support we can gain. So please do look at these wonderful um, links because they have a lot of information in them. Um, while we're waiting, and again, please drop more questions into the chat. I know that um, summer meals is a big priority currently for USDA. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about 
um, both summer meals and the new summer EBT program, um, and how we, you know, as a community of nutrition educators can be supporting both of those efforts. Yes, thank you so much for that question. We are, for the first time, we've had, we have a new program. And so we know that um, you know, many of our programs have been very long-standing, but we're very excited and very proud of Summer EBT. And what Summer EBT does is it bridges the gap for our children who um, may be food and nutrition secure, insecure uh, during the summer. And we know that um, it's a problem that we can solve together. And we want to make sure that we do gain your support on this. And so several things that, that we can do together is to really work with our state and local leaders on leveraging uh, both our non-congregate meal service, which helps for um, youth and families in rural areas to to gain access to meals that we're at a place where they don't have to go sit down because there are limitations to locations for those types of things. So they can do a grab and go method as well as summer EBT. And we wanna make sure that families are aware of summer EBT and those options. So making sure that through, through all of our programs that we are promoting that, and then just building enthusiasm because this is really about ending summer hunger for children. And so as we're doing this, this will be in addition to, it will not take away from staff benefits. It won't take away from kind of get meal service. This will be where they are able to gain some funds on an EBT card for the summer to increase food and vegetable consumption and increase their, increase their access to that healthy, safe, and affordable food that we've mentioned before. So very excited. We already have several states that have taken the um, reins and are figuring out um, how to roll that out. And of course, we know that it'll be um, in steps, but very, very excited about that and very excited about the opportunity to decrease and, uh, and hopefully at some point, very soon eliminate summer child hunger. And there's some some links in the chat about it as well. I remember with the rollout of PEBT, which you know is is sort of the the precursor to this, um, mm -hmm. or the complement at least, since there has there was a summer EBT pilot before. Um, mm -hmm. That there were you know many challenges like that people got money loaded and they didn't know how to use the card or they didn't know why the money was there. And so mm -hmm. I would imagine, like you said, that you know many of our members can be helping explain you know to to the communities that they work with like why those benefits are there, how to access them and be interfacing with officials that they may already have access to that, you know, individuals at the community level may not. And hopefully the rollout this time uh, goes really smoothly. <laughs> I'm so yeah, excited, are, at least in our state. So. Yeah, we're very, very excited, Julia. Thank you for that. And we're we are so excited again. We learned a ton, of course, from from PEBT, and then again working with our states to make sure that the transition is smooth. And we we have been working avidly uh, to make sure that we have conversations internally, so as this rolls out, that we'll have as smooth a transition as possible. And so as we we think about that, though people in communities want to hear from people in communities. So as we are there and we can represent and we can be advocates and we can work together to think about how to inform our community members about why these benefits are there, they will have to um, fill out paperwork. It's not you know, just the same. It's not exactly the same as the PEBT, but that was a decision from Congress to make sure that they are um, 
meeting um, requirements for free and, free and reduced lunch, but we're just excited about the opportunity. So even helping people with the paperwork and making sure that they have it in so that they can bridge the gap, you know, within their homes over the summer. So very excited. And again, if you have ideas, that's what we're here for. We want to do better together. And um, again, if we need to do more with SNEB members to talk about summer EBT, we will be happy to do so. Great, I think we have time for one more question. quiet group today, I guess. I guess they're all thinking about um, good food. Um, okay, See, seeing no hands, I'll ask one final question if that's okay, and one that has come up on, on the ACPP calls before um, about WIC. So, you know, we're all very worried about WIC funding running out. Tom talked about this. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what what is USDA doing and what can we be doing to make sure that um, you know, participation is finally going up for the first time in a long time, and now funds might not be there. It feels like a, a horrible problem to have. Right, and so we we are working internally very avidly, of course, with the first um, scare on the hill that was um, concerning, and so we are just working. And of course, um, Tom mentioned the the, the stop gaps that we have but we're fully expecting Congress to do their job. And so that's one of the things we know how effective WIC is as a public health program. And we are so excited about the increase in participation. And if you didn't know uh, for your members, we've increased participation by 400,000 in the last decade. And that's been amazing. And we have 6.7 million participants on WIC. And we know that when WIC mothers and children are a part of our program, that they're choosing to eat more fruits and vegetables, that they're eating better, that their health outcomes are better. And we want to do that also to improve our maternal health outcomes and the outcomes for our children who may be at nutritional risk. And so as we um, think about that, uh, we, we just want Congress to do their jobs. We are we are uh, grateful uh, that we do have some time in between where we have, um, you know, that the extra funding that so that we won't be um, we won't be scrambling. But we need our states, you know, to 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 be thinking about plans and thinking about ways that we can help support. But I will say we fully expect Congress to do their job. So we won't have to come up with back back. Back, back, backdoor plans, uh, but you know it really does depend on states and the way that they would disseminate things. But we, we are just being hopeful. We we didn't have a, a shutdown on November seventeenth, and we're hopeful that things will run smoothly. And we got people like Tom here to keep us, um, keep them in the rails, right, Tom? And so uh, we're just excited that um, we we are progressing. And and I tell you, the WIC modernization, again, if you haven't seen that, really going and reading that and, and being an advocate and uplifting the impact of WIC for our Congress members is very important. I think we're at time. And Dr. Cartwright, I want to say thank you so much for coming today. It's It's been so great to hear, you know, what USDA is doing. And, you know, we're, we're very lucky to have you in this leadership position. And I will say, I really loved the bus um, metaphor that took us through. That was great. So it's just also nice to hear from your perspective, like why you come to this work. And so really appreciate it. Um, we will make sure to share out, um, you know, the the materials that you've all shared with us, with our membership, and um, hopefully we can have you back soon. I would be happy to come back. And again, I thank you for the opportunity to talk to fellow SNEB members. And I just appreciate it. I hope everyone has a wonderful break. And just thank you again for the opportunity. And thank you to Sheila also for helping organize this with you. So thanks. Yes, to thank you.
thank you to the whole team and Sheila helps me with it all. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, great. So for those of you who are staying on, we have just a few more minutes. Um, <clears throat> we really appreciate, you know, you're, you're showing up today and we would love to have continued support for ACPP um, as well as some of the policy efforts. So just to, as a reminder to you all, um, you know, there, how can you get involved? So um, one is just by reading the policy update email. Tom writes it every, you know, writes it every two weeks, um, shares it every other Monday, and it's a quick update from the field at the federal level. It has news, resources, um, and other information. And you know, I find it in my job indispensable. So I hope I hope that you know you're taking the time to read that as well. Um, you can also write a resolution. So you know, this process is really one that's like membership driven. Um, it, you know, you can bring forth any policy position for discussion and for vote. Um, and, you know, they're accepted, resolutions are accepted and reviewed on an ongoing basis. Um, and this makes, you know, when, when you put one up to ACPP, it makes um, the issue a priority amongst um, members across SNEB. So, um, you know, I think it raises, it raises sort of like the profile of an issue and makes it something that we can really focus on both in the committee and, you know, at conference and, and whatnot going forward. Um, you can also get involved through your, your division point person. So, um, you know, for many years, we can, we've conducted a survey that the divisions are responsible for um, engaging members on. Um, and we share these results with the SNEB board and we, it helps us shape what the policy direction will be for the coming year. So that means, you know, what will be at the webinars, what will be on conference, also what sign-ons um, that we are. So, you know, many of the other membership groups and advocacy groups um, focusing on nutrition will send out opportunities to support legislation or other bills. And um, this is an opportunity for you as maybe someone can't lobby in your own job to educate and advocate through SNEB in a separate role. So um, <clears throat> just saying that, um, it's a it's a great way for you to have sort of influence um, and for us as an organization to have influence. Um, I will say a sneak peek, the fall 2023 survey results were just revealed and um, the top U.S. federal policy priorities this year were the nutrition title of the farm bill. So that covers SNAP and, and TFAP. Um, that's no surprise. Second one, also no surprise, is child nutrition reauthorization. You know, both of those... Um, Omnibus bills were supposed to be getting attention and passed um, this year, and again, are not. Um, and so they're still top of mind for everyone. Um, and then the Farm Bill Research Extension um, title, which you know includes support to land grant universities, SNAP-Ed, FNEP, et cetera. Um, so those are the you know federal priorities that ACPP will be talking most about this year. Um, and then you know, thinking about what other topics people are interested in that may not be, you know, just limited to the federal level um, is food and nutrition insecurity writ large, thinking about universal school meals um, at the state level, and then racism and food justice. Um, so I, I'd say, you know, happy to talk more about those results. We'll be thinking about um, future resources to put out. And in the meantime, um, there's a link here that Sam's provided um, that, that go to existing uh, SNAP advocacy resources. So this is a collection of training and past conference sessions, um, as well as our policy positions and actions. Um, 
I, I would say any questions, but I don't think that people have had lots of questions today, but I wanna give a big shout out to Sam who has been manning the webinar and done a fabulous job. So thank you so much, Sam, for all your support and um, making this possible today. Thank you. And thank you to everybody who has you know, been involved and, and spoken today and especially Dr. Cotwright and, uh, and just everybody on ACPP. So thank you all for making it great. Thanks again to everyone for joining. All right, I see we're still recording, Sam, but just want to say thanks. That was great. And I'll connect um, on email. So I think we should end it. Great. Thank you, guys. See you, Julianne. Bye. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye.